This is Work the Case, a Criminal Minds legal podcast. Okay, so... Well, Lee, I would actually like to do the intro today. Um, oh, you're, you're hitting me with a surprise. Okay, I want to hear your intro. I would, and I'm not even going to ask you a question. I'm just going to use it to make the statement that for this episode, I would raw Dr. Spencer <laughs> Reed to an obscene amount. <laughs> Opening done. Okay. You know what my intro was? What? I'm tired of these motherfucking agents on my motherfucking train. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, welcome to Work the Case, the Criminal Minds Legal Podcast. I'm Lee. I'm Hope. And we have stupid thoughts and opinions on Criminal Minds, a TV show (laughs) that started in 2005 when we were both, doing the math really quick, seven. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so these ones are... This is an intense episode. I really kind of want to get into it immediately. Yeah. So for all the people interested in our personal lives, fuck off, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Because, okay, so this is episode nine of Criminal Minds season one. It's called Derailed. This is an episode which I think I think about more than most people should. Like, this is my joker. This episode fucks for like there's so many tropes in this episode that are made like specifically for me for hope and it's the train the fake out of the hallucination like spencer reed being an absolute badass like everything about it Mm -hmm. slaps it's ridiculous that and it's set in texas which is just beautiful for both of us yeah (laughs) They do, they make a comment, they're like, oh man, we have no reception, of course it is, we're in the middle of Texas, and like, listen, I know this was like 2008 or whatever when this was filmed. 2005. 2005, but like, even small town Texas got cell reception, guys. Um, Yeah. It's not fucking Louisiana, you know? They are on the line from, what is it, El Paso to Dallas, so there's a lot of desert. I, yeah. I I actually will agree with them that cell reception probably sucks ass. But not to the point where you can't make a call. But this was, this was 2005. Who knows? Cell reception was shit then anyway. Maybe everyone on the train has AT&T. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's get into the summary of this episode really quickly because um, it's a lot. So... Elle Greenway is doing her first custodial interview for the BAU in Dallas, Texas. For some reason, despite Dallas, Texas being one of the busiest airports in the fucking world, she has managed to find her way to El Paso or somewhere along that train line. Yeah, and also the fact that they have a private jet they take every other episode. Like, why is she on Amtrak, the world's shittiest train line? But... Whatever. She says she didn't want to drive, so... She says she didn't want to drive, so I'm going to take an Amtrak, despite us having a private jet. Cool. So she's on the train line all the way to Dallas when the train is suddenly stopped. Why? Because someone, some inconsiderate jackass decided to kill themselves or something. And so the train is stopped. Yeah, literally the conductor is like, yeah, we're fucking used to it. Don't get worked up about it. Like, (laughs) or it's the security guard. Yeah, it's the train police officer. Uh, train cop, I called him in my notes. Yeah. So the train cop's like, yeah, somebody killed themselves in front of the train another Tuesday. And Elle's like, oh, okay. So while Elle is talking to the security guard, Dr. Theodore Breyer, a man with schizophrenia, I'm putting an asterisk, we'll get to this in a minute, <laughs> has 
has a delusion of somebody telling him that the train cop and L belong to the higher authority. So he grabs the train cop's gun, shoots him dead, and then pistol whips L, takes her gun. And now we have five hostages on a train in the middle of Texas. We can't move the train and everyone on board is in danger. So it is just what it feels like to live in Texas on a daily basis. That's, I mean, like, yeah, that was my daily commute to my college. So now that we have five hostages in a train, the BAU is personally called in because this guy has your type of background, I think was the exact wording that the field office used. Because as Reed identifies from a security tape, not only does he have schizophrenia he has tardive dyskinesia discin- discin- tardive tar- it, oh i can't i know it's dyskinesia tardive dyskinesia i was gonna say i can't say the first one you can't say the second one we can do it together together we're a perfect partnership so he has tardive dyskinesia which is a condition that happens after a lot of antipsychotic use so this guy's not only schizophrenic he's been schizophrenic and being treated for a while so they're immediately called in which is good because they have a team member on board this train that somehow none of them notice while staring at this picture and also that makes them super reliable to help which i guess no hostage negotiator psychologist psychiatrist anyone in texas could help with it has to be this specific team of fbi no they were all busy they were all on vacation (laughs) there's actually so many hostages on trains in texas they actually were all taken up it's a big state. <laughs> so, well, so they go down to Texas to come help the situation when the five Mary murderesses on this train, all of them have horrible backstories. That's my first note. And they're all a fucking powder keg. I can go through it really quick. Yes. Josh is an alcoholic that's recently been kicked out of Gillette University and cut off by his dad, who he thinks is an asshole. I think it's just a normal parent. <laughs> Elaine is pregnant. She's going to Dallas to get an abortion because her boyfriend sucks ass, apparently. The glory days of Texas. Anderson is a, he's a paper goods salesman, I think they called him, and he is getting a divorce, and I think he's bringing a gun to shoot his wife. That's kind of the implication. Yeah. He might just be a normal Texas man that just keeps that motherfucking thing on him all the time. But I think he's trying to kill his wife. Yeah. And this is all given to us within, like, the first three minutes. Like, yes. my first note for this fucking episode is, so everyone has a tragic train backstory now? Like <laughs> My tragic train backstory. I know it's Amtrak, and no one wants to be on it, but, like, this is a little extreme. <laughs> and then finally, we have Linda, who is a psychiatrist who treats schizophrenia and schizoaffective disorders, who is bringing her patient, the Theodore Breyer, to a conference in Dallas to talk about treatment for aggressively, she calls it aggressively psychotic patients. She she says he's a sign of progress, and at one point Josh is like, he's progress? It's very funny. (laughs) So these five people on the train are just kind of a shit show altogether. Ted, as he's called by both his psychiatrist and his delusion, holds them hostage because he believes the higher power which is some mysterious government organization has put a microchip inside of his arm so 
while trying to get the hostage situation resolved, Spencer Reed reveals that he practiced magic since college, and he can do a sleight of hand trick to make it look like he's pulling a microchip out of this guy's arm, buying into his delusion enough to neutralize him so that they can get the hostages off the train. Which is a totally normal and reliable plan. This is There's no fucking way it can fail. So Spencer Reed goes onto the train, does a little magic trick, and immediately almost gets shot in the head by the unsub. Luckily, through the power of L's teamwork and just a general train fuckery, they manage to wrestle the gun away from the man, and he is shot by Anderson, the guy who might be trying to kill his wife. The day is saved, and Reed goes, Yeah, I know a lot about schizophrenia. No reason, when L asks him. Yeah, he's like, yeah, don't worry about it. We'll get to that in a few episodes. And then Reed walks away with slow motion and the music goes up and it's like, something's wrong with our boy. <laughs> but but you'll learn about that in a few weeks. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's kind of the long and short of the episode. That's, of course, glazing over a lot. And there's a lot to talk about. Yes, for sure, for sure. So... So let's get to the psychology of the episode first, because I have a lot of notes about schizophrenia. <laughs> Hit me with it. Um, okay, so let me pull, I'm pulling up the Mayo Clinic page, and that's just to help me kind of like organize this insane scribbling on my notes. But as most people know, schizophrenia is a type of mental disorder. It is a cognitive and behavioral disorder. The most common symptom that people think of when they think about schizophrenia are delusions and hallucinations. Uh, delusions are false beliefs held about reality. So that would be like the higher power that he's carrying on is a delusion. Hallucinations are audio or visual. You see things that don't exist or you hear things that don't exist. And a key difference between those two is hallucinations. You can convince yourself that they don't, like, you know that they don't exist. Like, you know, the popular trick, I think, on the internet, right, is you look through your phone camera to tell what's real and what's not for people with these kind of issues. Mm -hmm. But delusions, even if you're confronted with, like, legitimate evidence that whatever it is is not happening, the delusion will either shift to accommodate it or just say, well, you're lying, you're part of the higher power that's why you're lying to me like delusions are delusions because they are a belief that is fixed and will not change no matter what hallucinations you can tell yourself like okay i'm not seeing or hearing what i'm seeing or hearing yeah the also underlying thing is a hallucination is generally speaking acute so you'll hear or see something that is not real you can either convince yourself that it's not real or eventually the hallucination may end that can you know that's it's not all the time but sometimes with a delusion a delusion is a long-held persistent belief it's not acute it's something that is long-ranging so those are the those are the two kind of benchmark symptoms of schizophrenia also involved symptoms are disorganized thinking uh, which can lead to disorganized speech extremely disorganized or abnormal motor behavior because schizophrenia is a condition that's like neurological in basis it can lead to some issues with like fine motor control and also the Mayo Clinic calls these negative functions that what we would call it is executive dysfunction it's the inability to do things because of either the associated depression that comes with schizophrenia or because of like inability to cope with 
the schizophrenia itself. So those are kind of your typical symptoms of schizophrenia. Most of the time, this would be diagnosed when someone's younger, so like 17 to 23 is generally the window. Schizophrenia diagnoses later in life are much more rare because usually these kind of symptoms are debilitating enough that somebody notices. And this is where I put the disclaimer that people with mental disorders, especially schizophrenia, are not usually the perpetrators of crime. They're more likely to be the victims of crime. A delusion does not mean that someone will commit violence, and a hallucination also does not mean a person will commit violence. It's much more likely that somebody will use a person's mental state against them than that they will use their mental state against you. This episode, you know, it's TV schizophrenia, so he has these violent psychotic reactions to his delusions, but that's not the traditional case of schizophrenia. Now, going to the other thing that he has, which is, okay, tardative, you say the other word? Dyskinesia. Tardative dyskinesia. So, tardative dyskinesia is, first of all, Reed identifies this from a grainy security camera image, and like, what? Yeah, and then Morgan dunks on him for noticing it, and I'm like, Morgan, isn't your specialty field, like, mental illnesses? This is something they told us, like, first week in my psychiatry class. No, I will say... Like, this is... Like, I will say, Reed seeing, like, two, basically, frames and going, ah, clearly it's tardive dyskinesia. Like, what? No, that's valid. But, like, Morgan's like, you know what those big words mean, huh, genius? <laughs> and it's like, Morgan, you should also know what these words mean. No, Morgan slept during that part of class, I think. Or he was doing... Morgan was fucking during that part of class. Yeah, he was either undercover, building bombs, or fucking his three favorite activities. <laughs> So tardive dyskinesia is, it happens once you've been taking antipsychotic medication for a long time. It basically is stiff, jerky motions of the face and body. For like the facial motor features, it can lead to problems with like sticking out the tongue or like blinking really quickly for general body symptoms. It's jerking limbs, stuff like that. It is something that's treatable, but treating it would either require lowering or raising the dose of the antipsychotic medication switching to a different medication or discontinuing medication altogether which are three difficult things to do if you're getting long-term treatment for schizophrenia which is a disorder that does not go away it requires lifetime treatment so it can be a really difficult thing to treat and it's just you know, it's another nightmare. Uh, what I'm saying basically is it's another reason that like a person with schizophrenia is more likely to be victimized by crime because they're more likely to stand out. There are physical symptoms to this invisible disorder and it can be very traumatic for the person that has it. I feel really bad for this guy, even though he's, you know, holding people on this train hostage, he is clearly suffering from a lot of mental illness and it's making it very difficult for him so when we get to the court the legal section of this episode we're going to be talking about culpability and mental faculties so this guy's got a really good case for not guilty by reason of insanity i think we will get to that yeah so that's kind of like the big stuff in terms of psychology i will say I think everybody on this train gets, like, congratulations, here's your coupon for therapy for life. Yeah. 
<laughs> because you saw you saw one person die, one person get viciously maimed, and uh, uh, then your entire foundational belief in the FBI was shaken to its core by Reed pulling a microchip out of a guy's arm. Yeah, but that one college student, the whole time I'm watching it, I'm like, sit the fuck down. Shut up. You're gonna fuck it up. And then he does, like, which apparently is a theme of his life, but still. He nearly gets everybody killed. Yeah. Even while the psychiatrist is like, hey, shut the fuck up. I've worked with this guy for years. Like, don't keep doing this. And he's like, actually, I'm 20 and I know what I'm talking about. And I've been drinking for like eight mm-hmm. hours. So I'm kind of feeling it. Yeah. Um. So there is a moment during the episode where... Hotch is talking to Reed. So Reed becomes like the schizophrenia expert for the rest of the episode, which we won't tell you why for the next few episodes, but you'll learn eventually. And I think, does Hotch or Gideon know about his mom at this point? I genuinely don't remember. So that'll be a fun discovery when we also get to it. Yeah, I, I like you hope they at least know because somebody should. But um, they do defer immediately to Reed for all of the schizophrenia knowledge, even though all of them should technically know about schizophrenia. Yeah, they should all have, like, a decent grasp of it by now. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, so there is one point where Hotch turns to Reed and goes, is there any belief or delusion that's more common than most in schizophrenia? And Reed goes, they can be varied. They're unique and individual experiences. And then Hotch is like, we think he thinks he has a microchip in him. And Reed's like, oh, yeah, that's pretty common delusion. That was one thing. So I had that written down. And actually, at first I was against it. I was like, that's dumb. There are general types of delusions. Like, there's some that are way more common than others. And then Mm -hmm. I was like, well, when I thought on it a bit, I was like, there might be overarching like types so Mm -hmm. i'm being persecuted by a higher power but if that higher power is the government versus aliens you have no way of knowing and if they just walk in balls out and guess at like the finer details then he's gonna call him out on it so i think that is like justifiable on reed's part yeah but i'm not asking about like the the, you you know at that point i think reed could be like i don't know maybe microchips like there's, I'm saying that there's common, there's common branches on this common tree, you know? No, that's what I mean. It's like, there are common branches, but at this point, like, I can list off general, like, you know, persecution, like, ideas, but if I don't know the specifics or I don't have enough to guess even what type, like, it's kind of pointless to, like, just list them off. Fair enough. So the doctor walks up to the guy and rolls his sleeves up and they see that he has a bunch of self-harm scars from trying to dig the microchip out of his arm. And that's when they realize that it's a microchip. And Reed is like, oh, well, I can do my cool little sleight of hand bullshit and save the day. Morgan's immediately like, teach me. I'll go in. Yeah. He's like, Reed, you're a baby. You're a child. Let me do it. And I'm like, isn't Reed like a fully qualified agent? Yeah, well. This is the start of Morgan being, like, best big brother in the world to Reed. (laughs) They realize that they can only really send Reed in because he knows how to do sleight of hand. And Reed goes in and just has a real good gaslight girl boss moment. Because he's immediately like, I know everything about schizophrenia and I will fix it. And he starts empathizing with the unsub. Which, you know, gold star for Reed. He's been learning. I'm glad that he's putting in the effort every week. Yeah, I also don't want to gloss over the fact that there's a whole scene where Reed is trying to do this with, like, the chip from, like, a random radio and he can't do it. Does it once, because everybody else is like, we're calling it off, we're not fucking doing this. And he's like, does it once and he goes, I'm ready. And it's like, Reed, no, you're fucking not. (laughs) No, he's fucking ready, let's go. Um, And then I did write in my notes that uh, the writer's room really paid attention on Chekhov's gun day in writing class. 
because we have a second Chekhov's gun in like the three episodes. Which you know what? Another trope that I love. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if it's a, technically a trope, but it slaps anyway. Yeah, I called I called it like what was it? Chekhov's ankle gun earlier. Now it's Chekhov's briefcase wife murder gun. God. Also in this episode, I think the FBI is being a little bit cavalier with the way that they're going. Let's feed into his delusions. Let's not now. Let's do it again. Let's stop it. Like a lot of whiplash on this train. Yeah, and like. There's no over, like, again, you need to sit down and discuss what exactly are we going to be doing? How are we going to be mm-hmm. handling this? I know it's a short time period, like, that he's giving them, but, like, you still need to be all on the same page. And then it's like, what, like, Gideon's like, we're not feeding into it. And then Hotch will get on and be like, I totally agree with you. We are the higher power. And it's like, hey, guys, let's take a step back and, like, form a game plan before we just kind of go in, okay? There's five people. The BAU shoots from the hip only. No planning, no strategizing. We go in, dick out. That is one thing, too, I have written down, is that they do the thing um, that they did a few episodes ago. again, And I know it's for, like, show purposes to give you explanation, but, like, they walk out of the van and Gideon starts going, don't look at the train. We're the higher power. We should know what the train is. Like, don't look at it. And it's like, hey, isn't that something you might want to mention before you got out of the car? Mm-hmm. Like, this is, like, you would have discussed that, and then that way everybody knows not to look at it instead of yelling it out while people are, like, in the process. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's trying to be very subtle when he's like, don't look at the tray. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then my last note that I have here. Oh, yeah, Derek has to teach a cop that they're being mysterious. <laughs> he's like, shh, don't worry about it. It's, it's Gideon's special move. <laughs> <laughs> Which is very, it's just very funny to me that he's just like, shh. <laughs> Holding a hand up to their finger and muting the phone call and being like, shut up. <laughs> Fucking it up. Shut up. God. Ugh. So I think from there we can get into the the legal stuff. Let's start. Yeah, where, where would you start on the today's legal bits? So I'm going to start with the less juicy stuff first just to get it out of the way. Okay. Because there's not a lot of like searches seizures whatever in this episode so there's not really a point in going like chronologically mm-hmm. so the first thing i noted is ella's on the way to interview someone in prison for the first time this would not be an interrogation or arrest technically as he is already in prison really quickly can you describe yes. what a custodial interview is so pretty much it's just an interview while they are in custody so that's why it would not be technically an arrest or interrogation. This actually has previous case law on it, where they're basically just taking him out of his jail cell. The FBI is visiting him and interviewing him, not necessarily for the purpose of a case because he has already been convicted, but just for psychological reasons. Um, it can be for, like, they want to get information about his specific crime or maybe, again, like, it's, since it's the BAU, they want to interview him for like general research purposes, what have you. So he wouldn't need his rights read to him and he wouldn't need a lawyer. He could just go talk to them. So that's my first note. It has no relevance beyond like one line in the episode, but I'm trying to note down everything. Also, so to preface this, I am not an expert on like hostage situations. The rest of like the searches and the interrogations, like I'm comfortable talking about it. I have no idea what I would do as an attorney if they were like, yeah, the team that did this was the same team that one of the hostages was part of. Like, that's for sure a conflict of interest I would bring up. I would probably be like, yeah, these these five fucking insane jackasses were trying to get their bestie off the train the whole time, putting five people at risk. Yeah, like, I know, like, I would bring that up for sure. Like, absolutely. I just don't know if it's actually illegal or not. Like, I genuinely do not know. I don't know if it's illegal. I think it's frowned upon. 
Yeah, like, during the trial, I'd be like, hey, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> um, and those words exactly to the judge. Um, they also mentioned, so... Your Honor, objection, what the fuck? Exactly. They also mentioned that they do, like, facial recognition on all the people in the train to, like, get their background information. I was really curious about that. I was going to say, that would actually be fine because for two reasons. The first of which is that you can search something if it is in, like, plain view. And so the fact that it's from a camera doesn't matter. Like, they can look at it as long as the camera was given, you know, consensually, which, of course, Amtrak probably did um, because they called the FBI in. Um, Like, then they can see their faces and use, like, whatever picture they have to Mm -hmm. search it. So, like, you're in a public space. They can just use that. The actual information that they get is all public information. Like, they're pulling up newspaper stuff and, like, shit you'd get on, like, background search websites or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. So they wouldn't need a warrant for that either because that is technically public information as well. Can we talk about the information that I actually get from the Dragnet really quickly? Because I have two notes about that. First of all... The fucking second production team must have been very lazy that day because the doc, Dr. Linda, her driver's license picture is the same as the headshot. It's literally like they edited it, it to make it her driver's license picture. I mean, maybe she just had like a special driver's license. We don't know. It, it's really funny. The second note that I have is I wasn't paying much attention to this, but you know, Josh, the alcoholic fuck up. Yeah. For some reason, they had his favorite book listed. <laughs> on his information page you know his favorite book is oh fear and loathing in las vegas <laughs> I, mean, I saw nothing else all i saw was that and i was like wow i fucking hate this guy <laughs> like not only is he an asshole and alcoholic and a chronic fuck up but he likes terrible books okay so so uh yeah so back to back to the dragnet. Yeah. So also going on to the fact of like they're lying to him and playing into his delusion. Like we've discussed, I think in every episode so far, like they can lie to them, especially in life or death situations. It's mm-hmm. especially common in hostage situations where they're like, "Yeah, we'll give you a helicopter and a hundred thousand dollars," and then they like bug the helicopter or like take it down after or whatever the fuck. Um, again, I'm mm-hmm. not a hostage expert, hostage situation expert, um, but I think that's how it okay. goes usually. And so those are, like, the minor things. So I wanted to go into three more things that I think are a little bit chunkier, which is the psychiatrist's duty to the public and, like, general HIPAA information, um, NGRI -hmm. claim, and then a self-defense claim for um, the businessman shooting um, the unsub. Okay, I like these topics. So let's start with Dr. Linda, who um, is shot during this episode so yeah so psychiatrists have what's called a duty to the public which basically means if they think that their um, patient is going to hurt someone kill someone what have you or like go on a rampage then they have to report it and this was especially popular after a case in california where a man told his school counselor his school psychiatrist that he was going to murder his girlfriend psychiatrist tried to report it and his boss said no you can't you know that's confidential and then the guy murdered his girlfriend and like it was a really big case Mm -hmm. and it has been fiddled with across jurisdictions across time what have you but generally speaking if the psychiatrist has a reasonable belief that this person is about to go do imminent violence then they have to report it or like take a step to prevent it so like calling the police having them committed whatever 
So what's the standard for, like, reasonable suspicion? So reasonable suspicion, again, the entire American legal system rests on the word reasonable and then doesn't bother to define it. (laughs) It generally means, like, if they tell you or if their symptoms are so severe that, like, there's no way they aren't going to do it. So if they Mm -hmm. just tell you, like, I'm having visions or dreams of killing my wife every night, but I love her to pieces, I would never hurt her, and it's freaking me out, they wouldn't have to report that because you're trying to treat it. But if you come in and say, my wife is Satan incarnate, and I'm going to save the world and kill her tonight or kill her at, you know soon, that would be a case where you maybe either commit them or have the police intervene or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it has to be pretty severe because you're balancing the right to confidentiality and the psychiatrist, like, the very important professional standard of psychiatry of we want you to tell us everything so we can actually treat you. And Mm -hmm. if we think that you're going to go murder someone or like hurt someone severely, we also have a duty to that person to make sure that they're physically safe. Mm -hmm. So the standard to actually break that confidentiality again is somewhat high, but it's not impenetrable. Does our patient Theodore Breyer, Dr. Theodore Breyer fall within that guideline I would, do you think? I know that this is all just opinion, yeah. so, like, we're not the legal team. I'm not a psychiatrist uh, as of yeah. right now. So, but, yeah, so this would be something that I think is really interesting because she says a few times he's never had a break like this. She said that he's had severe schizophrenia, but it's, he's obviously been medicated for it. She feels safe enough to take him on the train into a conference full of people to, like, discuss his mental illness. And so I, to her boss's objections, by yeah, the way, to her boss's objections. So I think it could kind of go either way where she obviously she herself feels confident in bringing him in public. It's just whether or not mm-hmm. that belief was reasonable. So is her boss right? Is there something in his behavior that means that he shouldn't be in public or is she right where his medication and his mental history means that it's fine to bring him out even if he's still ill? I don't know. So there's several lawsuits that are probably happening in the aftermath of this whole train incident. I don't think it's unfair for the family of the train cop that got murdered to probably slap the doctor with a negligent homicide. Yeah, negligent homicide, manslaughter, or again, like just because she failed her duty of care to the public, to their, uh, to their son, nephew, whoever the guard is to them. Yeah, I think they would have a reasonable cause to at least sue and then let the lawyers and the jury figure out the specifics. Yeah, and when we say stuff like this, like, do they have the right to sue? Anybody can sue anybody for any, at any time for any reasons, essentially. It just, it a judge will throw it out if it's, like, ridiculous. Yeah, like, would this be a valid lawsuit would be a better way to phrase it. Yeah, and... So in terms of valid lawsuit, you know, to an extent, we can't really talk much about it because, like, we are two podcasters. But, I mean, the the lawsuit's probably going to happen. Yeah, inevitably. Yeah, so that's, a, that's one of the lawsuits going on. And I guess it all really depends on whether or not the family can prove that she was negligent in her duty of care and whether or not she put the community at significant risk by putting him on a train. Who's to say what happens? Yeah. Um, Like I said, leave it to the lawyers and the jury. That's what I always say. Yeah. And the second, it's not a lawsuit, it would be a criminal charge, would be for murder against the businessman for shooting the unsub. 
However, he would have a pretty viable self-defense claim. So self-defense, generally speaking, is you have to, one, have not actively put yourself in a dangerous situation, like, intentionally. So, like, you can't just walk in to somewhere that you know, like, someone's going to attack you for sure and then kill them and be like, well, they attacked me first. Like, you can't do that. Mm Mm-hmm. You also have to be in imminent danger, and you can only react with the level of force being used against you. So if someone is beating you with their fists, and you shoot them in the back of the head after, you aren't in imminent danger because they finished. And two, the level of violence you used is more than the level of violence that they used. So you can only kill (laughs) someone in self-defense if they are trying to kill you, or if you have a reasonable belief that they might kill you. And again, reasonable is just a vibe check by the jury. Um, that's the whole point is the lawyers try and tell you what's reasonable and what's not and you figure it out yourself but I do like calling it a vibe check by the jury that's very funny that's all it is I I shit you not I have to learn every single thing I'm like it's reasonable and it's like so it's a vibe check like it's just does the jury think it's chill or not but so Mm -hmm. he is obviously did not intentionally put himself in this situation He also is responding with the same level of force, right, vis-a-vis the gun going off. You might, the prosecution, if he was being, like, seriously prosecuted for this, would be saying, well, he wasn't being shot at. L and Reed were both tackling the unsub at this time, or L was tackling Reed and the unsub. And so he wasn't shooting at um, the businessman, so he wasn't in imminent danger. But I would say just from, like, a person watching the TV show, I would personally have felt like I was in danger because there's an active struggle going on. The gun is going off. People are freaking out. You've been a hostage for like eight or nine hours at this point in like mortal terror. Mm -hmm. I would think that you would have the mindset of this guy, if he gets away from these agents one more time, he's going to kill everybody on this train. He's already killed two people or presumably killed two people. Like... I think that would be a reasonable cause to think that you're in mortal danger and take action. Now, from also from a TV viewer's standpoint, I'm like, just let the agents handle it. Why are we starting all this drama? Yeah, it's, again, that's because we have five fucking assholes on this train. I don't want to call them five assholes. I think the woman that's just trying to go to Dallas for an abortion is just, like, she is, bad fucking day to be on a train. She is exercising her goddamn constitutional right. Texas, take fucking notes. <laughs> Under the 14th Amendment. Her right of privacy. God, I'm so angry about SB8. <laughs> yeah, no, that's it. We uh, we hate that law. We are very upset by it. That's just uh, I can firmly state that as a podcast opinion. <laughs> yes. So um, she yeah. So there's four assholes and the most miserably bad lucked woman on this train. <laughs> There's not a moment in this episode where she doesn't have a gun pointed at her. Yeah, like, literally everybody else is there to have their personal problems crop up and cause drama. She's there so you have a pregnant woman on the train to, like, feel bad for and, like, be in moral terror for. Yeah, and it's unfortunate. I am glad. I haven't seen this episode in a while, and I was expecting, like, at the very end for there to be a scene of her, like, deciding to keep the baby. Mm -hmm. And the episode just doesn't mention it. They don't say if she gets the abortion. They don't say if that, like, was life-changing where she decides to keep it. And I'm kind of thankful for that so I wouldn't have to deal with the idea of, like, I'm getting rid of this baby and kind of on the fence about it but still going to go do Mm -hmm. it. 
to like totally changing my mindset because I just had a gun pointed no, at her. No, no, she, th- this episode does not care about this woman and her baby. <laughs> like they, beyond the fact that she's there. Yeah, literally she's there for sympathy. Yeah, so she, I guess, yeah, we're getting, so Anderson has a gun on the train, which I don't think that's allowed. I mean, okay. So, I know more about current Texas gun law than I do in 2005, because as Lee said, we were seven at this time, and my knowledge of guns was, you shoot squirrels with them, um, and you don't touch them unless my parents handed them to me. Mm-hmm. That was that was the limit. Well, and deer. Anyway, so, yeah. we're not talking about my hunting background. So, generally speaking, I'm just going to say from current law... If you had a concealed carry license, which is incredibly easy to get, they have removed the need for background checks for those types of licenses. And he's obviously over 21, Mm -hmm. so he can own a handgun. Generally, he could carry it. I don't know about Amtrak's policies, because Amtrak, like, individual companies can still say, like, don't bring Mm -hmm. firearms on our premises. But again, I don't remember off the top of my head if Amtrak specifically allows it or not, but... I would think, like, legally speaking, he could probably carry it unless the train said don't. And even then, that would be a suit on the part of the train towards him and not, like, a, yeah. an illegal act. So he can probably... I well, Let's not say probably, because we don't know, but he's got a gun, and that's the that's the long and yeah. short of it. Um, gut check from living in Texas um, mm-hmm. for a very long time. I will say he you can have a gun mm-hmm. fucking anywhere at any time, unless you're a person of color. <laughs> and he's not, so it's fine. Ooh, that was a little spicy right there. I mean, I only speak the truth, so. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, so, I guess we're, we're kind of, tr- I'm try- treading backwards a little bit. He, so there's going to be a lawsuit about, because there was a, he did fire a weapon at this guy, and that's an, obli- yeah. that's like an obligatory prosecute thing, right? Yeah, so it's obligatory, but it could also, I mean, so they would have to charge him, but he could also plead out very easily. So Yeah, I don't think there's any interest from the prosecution to put this guy in jail. Yeah, to put him in jail or to have the actual trial. Aside from maybe someone going, hey, let's check on his wife. Yeah, like, it's such a pain in the ass to actually have a trial for, like, actual, like, incredibly bad things that happen. I don't see there being a deep thirst from the prosecution to, like, put this guy on the stand or anything. So he would plead out pretty easily. Yeah, I think, yeah, they're they're going to be like, uh, I don't know, plead to self-defense and you're fine. Yeah. And then finally, let's go to not guilty by reason of insanity. Okay, so again, we have discussed this, I believe, in episode two with the fire starter, yes. but just for a Both quick... episodes with people that had schizophrenia. Yes, but this will be a quick recap. So... Not guilty by reason of insanity. Again, this varies from jurisdiction to jurisdiction between both federal and state courts. But the overarching um, like standard is called the McNaughton standard. And it is that you either don't know what you're doing is wrong, so you can't perceive like this is morally incorrect, or you are so detached from reality that you just like don't know what's happening. So you don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So like... A classic example would be you have a delusion that your neighbor is coming to kill you like because they knocked on your door or whatever and you kill them in response that would be you would reasonably believe that that wasn't incorrect because of your delusion that they were going to kill you you're acting in self-defense which we just discussed so you kind of look at it from what the mental illness was causing the other one again is that you're so detached from reality you just don't know what you did which is also connected to if you know the rightfulness of it. So, like, 
if you killed two people, but you were convinced that they were, say, aliens invading the Earth, which is a real delusion I have encountered in one of my mm-hmm. clients, then you also didn't know what was happening. So that would also be a guilty by reason, not guilty by reason of insanity, because you just did not know what was going on. So this would be a really interesting case because, so he knows what's happening more or less. Like he obviously has delusions about the higher power and everything else, but he knows he's on a train and he knows he has hostages. However, he also eventually incorporates that all these people are agents of the higher power trying to harm him. Secondarily, he has the belief that what he is doing is correct because he just wants this chip out of his arm and he's obviously willing to do it despite police presence because he believes that, you know, L is there, the security guard tries to stop him, and he does it anyway. However, would a jury find that he still had, how can I phrase this? Like, generally speaking, not guilty by reason of insanity, if you do something that is incorrect because you didn't know is morally incorrect, it is an action that had a reasonable response to it, but it's just the situation that your brain created like puts you in that situation. This would be more like, I think the easiest way to phrase it is, imagine yourself actually in their delusion and would you take the steps that they took to, t- to get out of it, right? So again, mm-hmm. you uh, like genuinely you believe your neighbor is coming to kill you, how would you respond versus I think there's a higher government agency that has a microchip in my arm. I'm going to take this entire train of people at gunpoint to get it out. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting like, case because I think he is 100% NGRI. I think that you could easily say he's doing this because of the mental illness. Because of his mental illness, he is not comprehending correctly what is happening. He believes everyone here is an agent here to harm him to some extent. Mm-hmm. He believes that he is being persecuted by a higher power. This higher power has a microchip in his arm that is causing him physical pain. And to whatever extent, it's not addressed, but we know it's like itching and burning and causing him pain. And he also has a hallucination of someone that is actively encouraging him to do it. It's usually called a command hallucination. So these are most, these are most commonly exclusively auditory. So you only hear a voice commanding you to do it but his is auditory and visual, so he actually thinks that there's a person there ordering him to do something. Mm-hmm. So I think as a defense case, this would be very pull, give and take because I think you could make a very good case for not guilty of reason by insanity, but I think the prosecution could also turn around and say, well, yes, he was hallucinating this, he had these delusions, and he was acting because of his mental illness, but those actions still weren't reasonable Um, for someone in his shoes so he wasn't guilty but he was insane but he wasn't not guilty by reason of insanity and to be fair so when we're talking about not guilty by reason of insanity having a mental disorder is not enough to reach the burden of proof that is required for an ngri defense yeah you would have to prove that the mental illness impedes rational thought or reasonable thought and again reasonable is a vibe check yeah. Uh, in the episode, they specifically state that he has synchro- like he has sequential thought. He can think in an organized matter. He understands that action leads to consequences. But just because you can understand like knocking cup off table means water on floor does not mean you can uh, you can reasonably understand shooting FBI agent means jail. 
So that's kind of what we're thinking about. And especially if you, especially if you don't believe they're an FBI agent, but someone of the mysterious higher power that implanted a chip uh-huh. in your arm, your reasoning would be affected. So I think this would be an easy defense mm-hmm. to make, but I think especially considering the location and the specific crime, I think it might be also an easy prosecution to make. Because you can say, well, again, he understood his actions. He understood what he was doing. His mental illness made him think he wasn't necessarily acting as he was. But, again, he knew that he was taking people hostage to get what he wanted, which he knew was morally wrong because he was threatening the cops if they came in. Yeah, so at the end of the day, uh, the BAU is probably going to be pretty essential for these multiple lawsuits that are going to happen. Uh, just going off a of vibe check, I think Anderson will plead out and be fine. Linda will probably get slapped on the wrist for her negligent homicide charge. And uh, this guy's going to be committed for a very, very long time. Longer than he already has been. Yeah. And, like, I have genuine sympathy for this guy. I do, too. Yeah, like, part of it is, so Lee mentioned earlier that people, especially those with schizophrenia, are infinitely more likely to be victims of crimes than the perpetrators. Mm-hmm. But especially on working with capital cases, the number of people with severe mental illnesses, especially schizophrenia, is much higher than like if you just took a random sample. Because people having these persecutory delusions and then acting on them in self-defense or acting on them because they have command hallucinations to kill someone do happen. It is a thing that happens. And so they often get prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law ignoring their situation and their mental illness because again the prosecutor's job is to convict you not to take into account mitigating factors Mm -hmm. and like the fact that you didn't know what the fuck you were doing at the time so i see a lot of especially this character in my clients themselves where they are doing something obviously that is unconscionable right i would not hold a train of five people at gunpoint I would not condone that action mm-hmm. in any way, but due to his mental illness and due to his personal state, I have like genuine sympathy for this guy. Like he is in a bad spot. And no, it's, and I mean it's, it's rough. He's clearly a very intelligent man. He is an astrophysicist with a lot of published work. He's the fact that he is able to do all of that and then also have these delusions is proof that like. He, he's suffering under an extreme psychosis and delusion that is impeding his natural functions. And because of that, you can't, you know, we talk about in abnormal psychology how it's it's explaining, it's not excusing. In this case, I think you could argue that, like, he deserves some excuse for his action because he's not able to, like... He's not able to conduct himself in a manner that's reasonable. Yeah, he he is genuinely detached from reality at this point. And he is why we have the not guilty by reason of insanity defense, because there are some people for which punishment is not the adequate response. You need to help them. Yeah, despite the fact that many legislatures are currently trying to abolish NGRI defenses because of the common conception among just the general population that it's a get-out-of-jail-free card. And it's not. This man's going to be convicted. He, he's not, he will be convicted. He will, instead of serving his time in a prison, will serve his time in a psychiatric facility. But he's not free. 
there's also this idea, I think, that you can just fake being insane. Like, you can just say you have a delusion, and they'll be like, well, shit, guess he's insane. As if you don't have to go through, like, six or seven psychiatrists who know exactly what mental illness looks like. And that the random person off the street is not going to be able to know, like, what hallucinations fit under schizophrenia. And so can't adequately fake it. Like, there's many tests to determine if someone is faking schizophrenia or not. And the fact that it is hard of fucking enough to get an NGRI defense for someone who is genuinely mentally ill. I mean, the fact that we're watching this episode and I'm like, yeah, genuinely don't know. Like, it could go either way for either side. Mm-hmm. means that if you came in and you were just faking it, it's incredibly hard to get it for someone who is not genuinely very ill. I mean, luckily this man has a lot of background that will prove that he has schizoaffective disorder, but uh, it's still it's still rough, you know? Yeah, even people with decades of recorded schizophrenia, it is very difficult because once you get them after their arrest and get them evaluated, they are also evaluated by psychiatrists hired by the prosecution who almost never agree with the diagnosis. They say, well, they don't have schizophrenia. They actually have ASPD, and that's why they're doing it, and they're just faking all of it. And then you have to, as the defense, you have to get four or five unbiased experts to say, no, the records dating back 20, 30 years are correct. They are genuinely ill. Mm -hmm. I'm not bitter or anything. I'm very bitter. (laughs) Now that we've wrapped that up, um, do you want to hear some of the, the trivia from the IMDb page? Oh, you know I do. So, for, so first one that I find interesting is when the team pulls up to the scene, Morgan gets out of the driver's seat, despite Hotch having driven them the whole time. Fucking got him. Errors in geography has, like, <laughs> three fucking mentions. So, first of all, the train is going from El Paso to Dallas, which, again, I don't know why L is in El Paso, but sure. Yeah, like, fuck it. Maybe that was the only airplane she could get. To, from, to El Paso? <laughs> I don't know. I, I genuinely cannot remember if El Paso even has an airport. They, no, they maybe, definitely have an airport. Maybe like a little regional It's a big one. fucking city. But like DFW is one of the biggest airports in the country. It's bigger than JFK in New York. Like yeah. what the fuck are you talking about? So so she can't get a plane, but she can get uh, she can somehow get to a regional airport. Fun. Um, it doesn't matter because every train sign on this is a Washington, D.C. metro. <laughs> <laughs> Um, one of the hostages is from Adobe Walls at Terlinguia. I don't know. Garcia pronounces it kind of strangely to me. Terlinguia is a ghost town in Big Bend National Park on the border. Adobe Walls is in the Panhandle. Neither of these are next to El Paso. (laughs) Yeah, both of which are like, I don't know, 15 hours apart and like 10 hours away from El Paso. Yeah, Adobe Walls is 500 miles away from the not big bend so that's like what seven hours in a car yeah like a long ass time and again she's somehow in el paso texas is a big fucking state it's 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 bigger than most european countries yeah uh also the train supposedly travels through west texas however as the bau is going towards it they drive through orchards and mountains if you've ever been to texas you know we don't have fuck all when it comes to mountains i was gonna say they're like yeah there's mountains i'm like you mean the little two foot hills little hills especially it's between they are between el paso and dallas that is the flattest piece of land you will see in your entire... There's nothing but windmills. You look, and you can literally see <laughs> Dallas from El Paso. Like, there is nothing. It is completely level. Every driver's license is an incorrect license. N- none of the expiration dates are correct. 
most of them have for some reason a class C license and all of the tr the clothing that they're wearing on the train is the same as the the picture in the ID. So it's a bunch of undergrads trying to get into a bar. Yeah, the set like the second shoot team was really fucking lazy this time, I guess. Um <laughs> There have never been direct flights from Washington, D.C. to El Paso. Is this this factual error? <laughs> so, yeah, she somehow got to El Paso, even though there have never been flights to that airport. She would, have got, she would have had to go through Houston to get there. And even then, Houston is not close to El Paso in any way. I was just saying, Houston's, like, what, five hours from Dallas? So close... El Paso's a 13, 14-hour drive to Dallas, or drive at least, and Houston's a five-hour drive, so, like, it's wild. Anyway. Yeah. No, none, of the, none of the geography of Texas. I don't think they know about Texas at all. Yeah, because this is also, like, we both, like, have lived in Texas for an extent of time, uh -huh. and this is not, like, niche Texas knowledge. No. Um, like, I know people who have lived in Texas for, like, a year, and they also know this. Like, this is not something that you can, like, not Google or whatever the fuck. Also, Derek at one point said, like, yeah, she's from West Texas. Um, and for both, like, I perked up, and I was like, she's from West? Because that's a town, I think, on the eastern side of Texas. <laughs> I um, unironically hate West Texas, the city. Mm -hmm. For the exclusive reason of the fact that it got wiped out by a tornado a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And everywhere on the news was West Texas got flattened by a tornado. And, and everyone we, was like, all of it? <laughs> yeah, I woke up at 8 a.m. and I was like, how fucking big was that tornado? <laughs> and it took me a while to realize that they were talking about the city. So they need to change. And also, it's in East Texas. Change the name. Yeah. Um, the, uh, apparently multiple people get injured, but no injuries appear later. Again, the second production team is just not doing well. Last note, Matthew Gray Goobler, who plays Dr. Spencer Reed, does magic. Like, he did magic as a kid. So, like, the sleight of hand is actually him. God. Again, I would kiss both Spencer Reed and Matthew Gray Goobler directly on the mouth. Separately and together. Yes. Oh, also, apparently, Dr. Linda Deaton, um... She was also in a in a movie called Derailed. So, and the, and it's also about the hostages being taken on a train. <laughs> so she really, really like we talked about typecasting with uh Tony Toby Todd. Uh, this woman has been typecast so hard that she played the same character twice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's all we have for this week. Uh, next week we will be taking a look at episode ten, the popular kids. Uh, and that one I have a lot of notes on, so I'm really excited for it. But until then, this has been Work the Case. Thank you for listening. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Work the Case. If you liked today's episode, please consider leaving a five-star review in iTunes. It really does help get our podcast out to more listeners. And if you want updates on when the next episode will drop and other tweets about the show, follow us on Twitter at WorkTheCasePod.